Well, it's wonderful to see you this morning on this fifth Sunday of Lent, and I would invite you to take a, a Bible with me and turn with me to the Old Testament text for today, Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. And if you're with us this morning and able, I invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's word. The Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and battalion. They will lie down together and will not rise. They will be extinguished, extinguished like a wick. Don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder ancient history. For look, I am doing a new thing. And now it sprouts up. Don't, don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the desert, paths in the wilderness. The beasts of the field, the jackals and ostriches will honor me because I have put water in the desert and streams in the wilderness to give water to my people, my chosen ones. This people whom I formed for myself, who will recount my praise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If in your Bible, for some reason, you don't have verses 18 and 19 underlined, you should underline them. The prophet says again, don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder ancient history for, look, I'm doing a new thing. It's such an amazing, uh, beautiful text spoken to exiles. Uh, we've talked about this quite a bit in the past. Um, one of my favorite portions of scripture is Isaiah 40 through 55, a portion of scripture that scholars um, kind of assume was written during the time period when Judah is in captivity in Babylon and think they really have no future. And the prophet breaks in and says, comfort, comfort you, my people. And, and so it's in the midst of people who are suffering, who are struggling, who are fearful about losing their children, who aren't sure that the future has any brightness to it. The prophet breaks in and says, forget all the former things. For I'm up to something, and God says, I, I'm up to something new. You can sense it, can't you? You can, you can feel it. You can understand it. You, you can lean into it. It's a powerful, beautiful passage of Scripture. This morning, though, I, I, I want to I wrestle with how I kind of struggle with it, though. When the prophet says, essentially, don't remember the former things, or in some of your translations, it'll just say, forget it, right? Forget those former things. I struggle in a lot of ways with, with this text. First of all, as a pastor, I have to admit, uh, we preachers tend to misuse this text. Uh, this is a text we love to go to when we want to start a contemporary service. Uh, forget the things in the past. Behold, I'm doing something new. Um, and it'll be really cool, and young people will love it. Um, but I struggle with the call to forget. Some of that, I think, comes uh, because I, I can feel my age and because so many in our body, um, so many in my family recently even have struggled with issues of memory and we have a group that cares for each other, the memory care group. And I have to say, I, I am at that place in my life where I want to remember everything <laughs> and, and panic when I forget something, right? 
I don't like the idea of forgetting because so much of who I am has to do with remembering the things of the past, the things that have happened. So much of who I am is captured in those things. I also struggle with this text a little bit because there are honestly reasons for us to remember even some of the really awful things. Oftentimes when uh, Deb and I, or when we've traveled, traveled in the past, I will often seek out those places that are memorials. Um, I've been to at least four or five different Holocaust museums, or um, Noah and I were in Hungary several years ago and went to the House of Terror, where, where this memorial has been set up to the atrocities that happened during the revolution. And there are those places that we have as a people where we say, we don't ever want to forget. Every year when 9-11 rolls around, we say, we will never forget, right? That there is something about even the terrible things that we as a people need to remember and need to be, remember the awful things that have happened in part so that we will commit ourselves to not letting them happen again. But we don't want to for, just simply forget the former things. We want to, in some ways, remember them and remember them in ways that actually create a sense of that sadness and sorrow and confession and and pain. I also struggle with this text a little bit because the Bible actually doesn't obey its own command here very well. And this one is not my fault. But the prophet, in telling the people to forget the former things, retells the story of the Exodus reminds them of a time when they were in captivity and a horse and rider went into the sea and didn't come back out. A time when God met them in, and their ancestors in places of despair and brokenness and lack of a future, but God moved in and brought newness and transformation and a hope of a future out of it. And so in the midst of saying, forget those former things, he's reminding them of those former things. I always get a little bit uncomfortable at this point in Lent because sometime in the next two weeks, leading to Palm Sunday next week and Easter the week after, sometime in these next two weeks, we will tell again, as almost every church every year does, tells the story of Peter's denial. In fact, there's only really kind of a handful of narratives and texts that appear in all four gospels. Peter's denial of Jesus is one of those that shows up in all four gospels which always is kind of interesting to me because here is the person who is, by all accounts, the, the primary apostle of the early church. And what does the church do every time it gathers together? Reminds itself of his failures. It remembers the former things, even Peter's not so great former things. And again and again, the scripture invites us to Remember that we were exiles and sojourners and wanderers. We were in exile. Actually, my biggest angst over this text is, is probably the biggest argument I got into as a student with a professor was over this text. I was taking a, a doctoral seminar from a well-known theologian whose kind of specialty is reconciliation. And he himself has a, a long history coming out of um, a situation growing up of deep conflict between, uh, between nations. And so, so much of his own story is trying to reconcile and make peace with his own family history. 
And he was giving to us as a seminar a paper that he was presenting at an upcoming conference, and he wanted our feedback on it, and it uh, ended up being in a book that he wrote later. But he had this whole essay about how he, he was convinced that when we get to the new creation, that God will transform us in such a way that we won't remember any of the bad stuff that happened in the old creation. And in particular, he was arguing, we won't remember any of the, any of the bad things that other person in the new creation did to us while we were in the old creation. And he was arguing that, and I understand it, because out of his context, he couldn't understand, like in our own moment, when we get to the new creation, how will Ukrainians spend the new creation with Russians who have destroyed their home and their welfare in this moment, right? And so he was saying the only way they'll ever be able to really peacefully coexist is if we forget who they, what they did and who they were. And I, I, I still feel getting angry about this. And I kept saying, no, like, I think it's important, for example, that Jesus bears the scars of the old creation of the crucifixion into the new creation. And not so he can go around saying, look what you did to me. Do you remember? Oh, I remember. <laughs> right? But so that we can remember the old in the light of the transformation of the new. And by the way, he's wrong about that. I'm totally right. <laughs> that the invitation of this text is not so much to have a memory wipe and to forget all of the things that have happened in the past, in, including the difficult and hard things that have happened in our journey. But it's an invitation to remember them differently. To think about them in a different way. To quote the Godfather, to forget about it. <laughs> but not really forget about it, right? By the way, I want to tell a story right here. I know that my daughter-in-law looks sweet and kind. <laughs> but about a year or so ago, I started to have really, maybe a year and a half ago or so, I started to have really bad pain in my feet, and this is terrible to admit. I went to the doctor and found out I had gout. It's just awful. <laughs> so pray for me. Let's just stop right there. Just say a word of prayer. But needing care and love and sympathy, here's what my daughter-in-law said to me. Forgot about it. Um, so anyway, uh, and every time it comes up, she goes, oh, forgot about it. So I don't know that it's a call for us to remember or to forget everything as much as it is to forgot about it, forget about it. To remember it somehow differently in the light of something that God has done. So that the reason the prophet can retell the story of the Exodus is not because they have forgotten. But it's an invitation for them to remember all that they, their ancestors experienced in the bondage of Egypt. So that they can also remember it in the light of the God who redeemed it and made it a moment of transformation and newness and new creation, and Torah, and wilderness, and manna, and unique presence of God with them that led them to become a holy nation and a royal priesthood, God's own people. And if they can remember what God did then, then they can look at their moment now in Babylon, hopeless with no future, 
certain that there is no goodness out ahead of them, and they can now look at that moment and in some ways step into the future with this hope that somehow God, who brought the people out of Egypt, can somehow bring them out of Babylon, and someday they will look back at this moment of despair and brokenness and will not only remember its pain, but will remember the way God brought about transformation through it. And truly then for generations, God's people have told again the story of the way like Jonah, they got swallowed up into exile only for God to hear their cry again and to bring them out into a new form of life. And so we're invited not simply just to forget, but to to begin to imagine, remember forward in the possibility of God's hope. But I want to make three caveats as I say that. Because part of me feels like that message is a little simplistic. And the first caveat I want to make is this. It doesn't mean, especially for those of you who are going through unbelievable, difficult things right now, it does not mean that we are supposed to say that what we are going through now is good. Sometimes I think we preachers can take a text like this and say to people who are in suffering and struggling, if you could just see it a few years from now, or if you could just see it from God's perspective, what you're going through now is actually really good. Which fails to acknowledge how terrible and horrific the Babylonian exile was for these people. It fails to recognize the the brokenness, the the despair, the the hurt. And God in no way wants to say to us in the midst of our struggling something that trivializes that suffering and says, well, it's really not that bad. For indeed, this is the God who in Christ enters into our suffering, not to call it good, but to take it upon God's self. And so I want to say to those of you who are struggling, the good news today is Sin doesn't get the last word, and darkness doesn't get the last word, and evil doesn't get the last word, and death does not get the last word, but it does not mean that those things are good. Indeed, we lament them because we are a people of hope. The second caveat I would make, and I I say this often, but I just don't want you to forget it, it does not mean then that the difficult, hard, challenging, broken things that we experience in our lives are somehow part of God's will or even part of God's ultimate plan. Sometimes the difficult things that we're going through are because we're frail and fragile and human. Sometimes the things we're going through are because we're not very smart and sometimes because we're really sinful and because we're really good at making kind of a mess of things. And sometimes the challenges And the sinfulness of others creates pain we didn't deserve but are getting anyway. And it doesn't mean that, again, we have to be so careful when we speak to each other about this, that just because there is hope out of it does not mean that we're going through it in order for that to happen. As I read the Old Testament text, 
I'm convinced God would have loved for the people to follow Torah and to live faithfully in the land and to be salt and light to the world. But because they did not, they ended up back in exile. And it doesn't mean that God does this in order for this to happen, but it does mean that even when we get into this, it does not have to have the final word for the God of grace and mercy and redemption moves into when we, as Paul says in Romans, when we look to him and are called according to his purposes, he can, in his creative, sovereign love, begin to bring about redemptive Opportunities that someday we may look back then and not just remember the pain, but now forget about it. Remember, remember that moment, those days, that situation, oddly with gratitude. Because of the transforming love of God that was able to do something new in the midst of something that's seems so old and so broken. My last caveat would be this. It doesn't mean that this redemption will necessarily be fulfilled in this life. Every once in a while when, again, we preacher types do this kind of theology, We'll look at a story like David and Bathsheba and say, that was a mess, right? Um, nothing about that. We can't say that was good, and we certainly can't blame that on God. What a mess David made. And yet, somehow, God, in the midst of all that mess and yuck and disobedience and brokenness is able to bring actually some redemptive things into the life of David and perhaps even to the life of Bathsheba. But there's part of me that wants to go, can we do some theology of Uriah here? Right? Do you remember the story? David misuses Bathsheba and then he sends her husband to the front of the war to be killed. Every time I read that story, I I'm happy, I guess, for David's redemption. But I want to do a kind of theology about Uriah. Where is Uriah's hope in this? And not to get overly mystical this morning, but I do believe that's where, where God's people lean heavily on the justice and mercy of God that refuses to allow even death in this life to have the final word in the hope of redemption. But that there is this hope that in the new creation, those enemies of lion and lamb and wolf and kid and bear and ox will be able to lay down together in the light of God's new creation and no longer hurt or destroy each other, but there will be in the mystery of God's bigness and vastness and life-giving, that there will be redemptiveness even where we can't find any now in the mystery of God's life to come. I love this season. Um, so um, Deb and I were gone this week. We went... Um, we were supposed to go on a cruise in February, 
and we got sick and couldn't go. And so the only week that really had, we could kind of do it before everything gets busy was we went this week. And so, um, and we had a little bit of chaos coming home last night. Uh, We left Miami and we got to Houston and there had been weather and so our flight was delayed and we landed about five minutes after our flight to Boise took off and so we missed that flight and so it looked like we were going to get stuck in Houston and then uh, we ended up in Salt Lake City and then it looked like we were going to get stuck in Salt Lake City but then kind of at the last minute we got the last two seats on a really late night flight last night from Salt Lake City to Boise. So we got to bed about 1.30. So if this hasn't made sense this morning, come back next week. We'll try it again. <laughs> Feeling a little loopy. Um, but it's amazing. We were gone this week, and, and this morning, when I looked in the backyard, the grass was greening up. Oh, it was amazing. Just in a week, I couldn't believe how, how much greener the yard has become. And it was so much fun to pull in this morning. And just in this week that I've been gone, the, the trees on the south side of the church— that blossom every spring. Their blossoms are out. It's my, oh, it's my favorite time to take pictures of the church. We, we're hiring a professional photographer right now. Take pictures, hurry. Um, while, the, while the trees are in bloom. And, and as I saw them this morning, it just reminded me that as we get to this Easter season, I, I've said this to you before, but part of the reason I think the church has celebrated Lent in the season is because We're still in the throes of winter when we enter into this season where we journey beneath the shadow of the cross. But even as we get to Easter, nature can't help it. It just doesn't participate. It just can't stay cold the whole time. Although it does fool us a lot in Idaho, but it it just can't stay, the life just has to come, right? And this morning, seeing that was just a reminder that as we move to the season, and as we think about this text, it's just a reminder that God refuses to give up on us. That God takes our broken pieces, that wonderful old chorus, all we had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but God just keeps working to make beautiful things out of that brokenness. And allows us then not just to forget about them, but allows us to begin to remember them differently, to remember them in the light of God's transforming grace. If I could just add one other piece to that. In the text, the epistle text this morning that that Pastor Carly read for us, it's interesting, Paul also invites us to forget the former things and to strive for the things ahead. But it's interesting when Paul wants to forget some things, he doesn't forget necessarily just the broken parts, but he actually goes through this whole litany of the really good things he could remember. The certificates he could hang on his wall. The medals that he won in teen talent, right? Like, he reminds us of all the reasons he could brag and boast. But even that, now in the light of God's transforming work in his life, he remembers the high moments differently and can say to them, I consider them all a dirty word in Greek compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And so even this morning, if you come this morning, not in this moment of brokenness, invited by the prophet to step forward just a little bit and begin to imagine that God is at work and God may even be able to take these horrible things and broken things and difficult things now and somehow bring transformation out of them. But it's also for those of us who need to be wary when we are in high moments 
moments when we take things on in our own strength, begin to do things in our own plans and purposes, that even there Christ wants to meet us and use even those things for his glory and purpose. I was reflecting about this um, this week, thinking about this text. Moments in my own life that I now remember so differently. Moments that at the time kind of put me on the couch in a fetal position that I now look back on and think, thanks be to God. (laughs) Not for that moment or for the pain of that moment, but for the God who is always doing something new, even in our brokenness. In a lot of churches growing up, it's kind of standard for Nazarenes to have a communion table, and oftentimes that communion table would have two words inscribed in the front of it, in remembrance, in remembrance. When Christ invites us to take this meal in remembrance, it's fascinating to me. This whole season, we, we come and gather and we have different elements. As we were uh, doing the call to worship today, I was thinking about how we bring a crown of thorns and lay it before us during this Lenten season as a reminder of the ways that we too often create shame in other people's lives. Every time I look at a crown of thorns, I think about how cruel we are as a culture, how much we love to build up people so that we can tear them down and laugh in their disgrace. But we remember this crown differently now. We remember it not just as a reminder of the ways we shame each other, but we remember We now remember that it is Christ who has taken on our shame and meets us in our places of God-forsakenness. We we take these elements like the whip that remind us of the ways that we hurt and damage each other, but also the ways that we have been damaged. But again, we bring that in remembrance, not just to be reminded of our cruelty and the ways that others have been cruel to us, but we We are reminded of the one who takes on our scars and is able to redeem even our sufferings and bring about transforming peace, making love even out of our sufferings. Some here, there are nails back here. The week we read these, we talked about how nails are meant for construction and somehow we come and we are reminded of the ways that we use them for destruction. Our systems that are meant to bring life to each other too often bring death to too many. But now we remember them differently, right? It's not just a reminder of our broken systems. It's a reminder of the one in whose hands we are carried. As Pastor Carly said, whose hands embrace us. The sign is a reminder of the ways that we too often go for the wrong kinds of kingdoms. But now we remember it as an invitation to take up our cross and to enter a different kingdom, 
The bag of coins that we put before the cross this morning is a reminder of the ways that our loves are disordered and we go after the wrong things too often. But they're also now a reminder of the price that set us free. And so we come around these elements and we are reminded that that broken body and shed blood was broken and shed because of our sin. Do we really want to come and remember that? Yeah, we come and remember. But we remember differently. We no longer just remember our sin, but now we remember a grace that will not let us go. And so we come to remember a grace that has embraced us and a grace that is changing us, and we invite that grace into our lives. And so this morning, I I want us to remember. Remember differently, but remember. In just a moment, some folks are going to help me this morning. We get to pass the plates today. Thanks be to God. No offense against McDonald's, but McCommunion is awful. This is us. This is the way things are supposed to be. Yeah. We're so excited uh, to, to distribute these. If you're new to the congregation, there is no requirement necessary, no membership that will exclude you from participation in this meal today. The only requirement is this, a desire to know and to remember and to be changed by the grace of God that we receive today. And so in a moment, some folks are going to help me, and as they distribute these, if you would just hang on to them, take a piece of the bread, take a cup, and hang on to them, we will take this meal together. Almighty God, we are in awe today of your creative ability. At some level, we experience every year when we get to this season of the year, all the coldness and death and darkness of winter, every year is conquered by the warmth and beauty and newness of spring. And so this morning, we hear the words of the prophet spoken centuries ago to people who felt like they had no future and no hope. A call to remember the ways that you transform brokenness into newness. And so to forget, to forget that we have no hope and no future, but to lean into the new things that you want to do in us. I pray for some who are here this morning who are in the midst of those seasons where, where it feels like there is nothing good pray today that they might begin to glimpse the springing forth, your voice of presence, the hope that you take broken pieces like broken body and shed blood and you transform it. And so we offer even our brokenness to you today And we offer our success to you today, too. For with the Apostle Paul, we consider it as nothing compared to knowing you. 
So transform us today by what we eat. Make us the body of Christ today, we pray. Amen. Amen. Those who are going to help me, if you'd come at this time. Jesus, we love.
prepare the elements and take them, hold them in front of you. Let me pray a prayer of dedication and blessing. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come Jesus, we hold in our hands in some ways things we would just as soon forget. Reminders of the ways that We broke and misused the word made flesh. The ways that we crucified the Lord of glory. And so we hold in our hands um, a reminder that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We remember them differently today. For we also hold in our hands a reminder of the way that you laid your life down for us. The way that your mercy meets us wherever we are. The way that your grace forgives us. The way your love transforms us. And so even though it's almost lunchtime, the thing we hunger for more than anything is for you to take the broken pieces of our lives and to make all things new. And so we hunger for this grace, for this righteousness. We hunger for you to make us holy. And so make this moment a means of grace to us. I pray especially for some here this morning whose life life feels like the broken pieces they hold. May your word be a word of hope today that you are making all things new. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Let us take and eat in remembrance of him. supper was over, he took the cup, blessed it. He said, this is my blood poured out for you to preserve you blameless. 
unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink in remembrance of all that Christ has done and is doing for us. May it be so, we pray today. Make us the body of Christ for the sake of the world. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. Let's reaffirm that one more time.
Texas. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than If you've listened well this morning, some of you may say to yourself, uh, Pastor Scott, what I have in my hands is such a mess and disaster. Absolutely nothing, nothing good, hopeful, redemptive could come from this. You're right, in your hands, no. But in his hands, thanks be to God. (laughs) For now unto him, who by that power at work within us that is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine to him, be glory in us, his church, and in his son, Christ Jesus, now and for all generations. And all God's people said, amen. Go in his peace.